Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 33, titled Finding Comfort Without Comfort Foods. This week, I wanted to share something a little more personal. I'm always looking for ways my own grief education can help me continue to integrate my story further, and I had a breakthrough recently about grief and my relationship to food. Food is a fascinating topic, from healthy eating to food pyramids, fad diets, and food deserts. We could spend a lifetime discussing the cultural, social, personal, and political implications of the industrial food complex and our relationship to it on all levels, not to mention the grief it can cause itself. But we are going to focus on how we relate to food as individuals and how our understanding of any and everything in life can change when grief is involved, even the way we think about food. Before we get too far, I want to clarify that I do not ascribe to reductionism. In fact, it is often reductionist theory that warps our understanding of food in the first place. It's basically the opposite of what I want to unpack, but the short version is that reductionism refers to a focus on the individual parts of food, like protein and carbohydrates, as their source of value, rather than the holistic approach that focuses on food habits and the relationships we have between diet and health. We see reductionist theory often on social media and in nutritional marketing. But we want to approach food holistically because we are whole beings, right? Mind, heart, body, and spirit. As we've discussed, my approach to grief is to observe the whole self and consider what part feels out of alignment. In my case, I knew that my body was out of alignment, very clearly out of alignment. Many of us are. Think back... I'm sorry, but think back to the start of the pandemic. We joked a lot about the COVID-15, but the truth is not only were we gaining weight, but we were experiencing body trauma. Our bodies weren't used to the sudden changes in our daily lives, like sitting more or not moving and getting out and seeing people. The same is true of our minds, hearts, and spirits. So as we continue to move through the pandemic, we're learning new things about what works and what doesn't but our bodies are often the last to get the attention, and I'm no exception. But my story doesn't start with the pandemic. See, my relationship to food died when my mom died. The day she passed, I lost my first chef and first teacher in the kitchen. As children, we ate like royalty, even for breakfast on school days. She spent her time ensuring our meals were balanced, healthy, and delicious. We cooked together. And she taught me all there is to know about the best way to make everything. I'm literally an expert. (laughs) Actually, she was an incredible expert, with the exception of baking, which we teased her forever. The first physical piece of her that I kept was her 13-inch steel J.A. Henkel's chef knife. It took years before I felt ready to cook with it. And every time I did, I felt her presence with me in the kitchen. But during the pandemic, like many of us, I relied heavily on delivery, both prepared foods and my groceries. I lost my connection to food itself and with it, my desire to cook, eat well, or even think about meals. All of my planned meals gave way to takeout and frozen dinners, made so much easier because of the convenience and my complete lack of effort involved. But food is a whole body experience. 
like everything else, we encounter produce and proteins with our mind, heart, body, and spirit. We think about food, what is good for us, what is more harmful. We have weird narratives about diets, like I said, and the purpose of food that change our relationship to it. We dream about food, traveling and trying exotic new things, or even falling in love with places and people when our olfactory memories are triggered and we return to a time of connection in our hearts with them. We consume food with our eyes, our noses, our fingers by touching it, and our stomachs. Our bodies process food internally without thought or willpower. Some bodies process food poorly when stressors are induced, right? Our body is responding, and we connect with food. Our spirits are lifted when a good bowl of rich soup is presented to a broken heart or a recovering body. We use food as ritual, tradition, and connection to the earth. There is no part of us that can separate our whole being from the experience of food. Yet so many have placed our home in sporadic fad diets, reductionist theory of food as fuel, and attempted to manipulate our understanding of food and nutrition by disconnecting from the entire experience. Without direction, the people perish. So we search high and low for the right direction, trusting influencers, celebrity cookbook authors, medical doctors, and sometimes even spiritually influenced diet plans. But what if trusting how we were designed? What if remaining in alignment with our values, even with food, and finding our full sense of self in the way we relate to food and nutrition? In the same way we might restore our connection to ourselves through curiosity, we can approach food curiously too. How does a bright, juicy strawberry make us think about food? How does it make us feel? Does our stomach rumble at the thought? How does your connection to community, berry farmers, produce markets, and the very soil change when you consider the humble strawberry? There's this practice of meditating while eating that I love to teach grief clients. This practice includes quote, drinking your food and chewing your drinks. And that's not to say we should make chunky smoothies and move on, but it's a call to slow down, to become present, and to truly savor and experience the food and beverages that you choose. Our quick fix culture thrives on easy solutions. I'm no exception, again. The supplements, the flash loss diets, and even simple declarations of calorie deficit. But if any of these truly worked, they would need to work for everyone and they clearly don't. So that means we need to ask a different question. Why aren't these mentalities and perspectives accessible to all? Because they're not the true form of self-care. Caring for ourselves, true self-care, isn't based on how many hours you can get away from your job or your family. It's not the spa days, vacations, or treat yourself shopping sprees. It's the interconnectedness of humanity, coming back toward ourselves and one another, Self-care is learning to breathe again, intentionally and without worry about what comes next. True self-care in relation to our food is recognizing that we have a relationship to food that we've inherited. Like any other thing we learned about life, our surroundings have made things really accessible or really challenging for us to experience food in a helpful way. Maybe we were raised in a food desert, only able to afford packaged food available within walking distance. Maybe as adults, we've gained more access, but rely on nostalgia and scarcity mindset we experienced as kids. And that's meaningful and means much when we can identify and unpack the things that are, might be holding us back. 
But this is not a conversation about allergies, aversions, or access, although all three deserve to be addressed. For today, this is simply a call for humans to remember that we are interconnected to all things, all of it, the air we breathe, the food we consume, and the people we meet, including ourselves. But we've lost sight of them for the sake of productivity, profit, and consumption. It's no surprise that we rely on comfort foods, but it was never the food itself that provided the comfort. It was the context, the people, the places, the smells, and the experience. The whole self-involvement in what we gained when we the whole self-involvement in what we gained when that casserole or stew sat before us, a loved one smiling and waiting for us to take the first bite. It's when we realize that we can't go home again that we start questioning the relationship and what brings comfort. But it was never just the soup. It was always the chef. Thank you for listening to episode 33 of Restorative Grief. Our relationships to food and everything else in life become deeply intertwined with one another, whether we like it or not. Grief simply adds a few more knots to unravel, right? Well, kind of. Calling them knots is a bit reductionist in its own way. But I do hope that my story and understanding of self-care and healing through loss, especially as it relates to the body, can help you unravel a few knots of your own. Our bodies are easily overlooked in grief work beyond insisting that we take a walk or try yoga. Engaging at these intersections of our whole self can be the very place we find what we've been looking for. If this is your first time listening, thank you for making space in your life for the importance of grief literacy. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review because that helps other grievers and grief supporters find us at a time when nearly everyone needs an extra resource. And one last thing, please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.